Welcome FEI Engage subscribers. My name's Olivia Berkman, and this episode is a conversation with Yang Zhu. Yang is with the Kraft Heinz Company, and in this conversation, she discusses the value of appreciation, continuous learning, and her journey from rural China to an elite French business school. Please enjoy the conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Olivia Berkman. I'm the managing editor of FEI Daily and host of FEI's podcast, Balance Sheet. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Yang Zhu. Yang is SVP and Global Treasurer and Head of Corporate Development at the Kraft Heinz Company. Yang obtained a bachelor's degree in finance and pursued her master's degree at HEC Paris and London Business School. She began her career with Whirlpool Corporation in 2004, and in 2018, she joined Kraft Heinz as Global Treasurer. As you'll soon learn, she has a very global background and a broad experience in finance. As a finance leader, she is passionate about developing talents and building strong and diverse organizations. Before you all meet Yang, I'd like to highlight that our next speaker in the series will be Kevin McBride, VP of Finance, Corporate Controller, and Principal Accounting Officer at Intel on September 30th. You can register for that at financialexecutives.org slash events. Now, I am very happy to introduce you all to Yang. Yang, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Can you start off by telling us, I know that you are in Amsterdam, so tell us why you're there and what has that experience been like for you? Thank you. Yes, I did move into Amsterdam during the peak of the covid um, it's for work reasons, and oftentimes my uh, my two children will say, "Well, mom, what's the next stop?" I would never know because my daughter is turning just turned eleven, and we probably moved five times intercontinental wise uh, and more if it's just a come to the different cities. So we came here because I took an expanded role and responsibility within my current company, Kraft Heinz, and I find it's a fascinating place to be. Uh, I. We've been too mobile, I guess, in the past years, but uh, coming into back into Europe during uh, a pandemic, it's a quite an interesting experience just because it prohibits us from interacting with many of the people. So fingers crossed that things go come back to normal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How have your kids adjusted to, to living there? Have they lived in other countries before Amsterdam? Yes, they lived... Um, Outside U.S., Italy, uh, China, and a couple of places in China. Yes, uh, I think they like it here primarily because they can bike to school. Uh, it's highly cyclable. Uh, and also I think the pandemic taught them that they, uh, it's important to have interpersonal relationships. And I say this because towards the tail end while we were in the U.S., before, just before we, we moved, uh, the school was uh, shutting down and they couldn't really be into physical contact with their friends. Uh, they were doing online studies. When we came here for a period of time, it was like that, but then they regained the access to school and meet with people like in real life, new friends. And for them, it's a cherishable uh, event. So now they understand uh, their school is good and be interacting with, with people is really something that uh, they enjoy. That's wonderful. 
I'd love for you to walk us through your path um, through school and then your career since graduating. You have a really incredible story, to say the least. So uh, I would love it if you would honor us by sharing that story with us. I'm very humbled. I sometimes I, I find my stories uh, uh, at times pure luck, and just because people <laughs> tender many many helping hands along the way. Uh, but I I was born and raised in China in a in a very small place and one of the poorest uh, provinces, and I was the uh, the product of one child uh, policy. So I was growing up really lonely. Uh, parents had to work, you know, six days a week to, to make ends meet and was practically brought up by my grandparents, uh, which is tradition in China in many, you know, uh, still Asian uh, countries. But um, yeah, so I find myself like really interested in the external world, uh, interacting with people that come from different countries, different background context. And my early childhood dream was to become an international tour guide so that I can go, you know, outside of this country. I can go explore. I can go meet with people. I could use my language. And little did I know that, you know, uh, when I uh, went to university that people said, you know, if you have a good score, you either choose finance or IT. At that time, the computer science was a really cool thing. I figure I was not so much of an IT person, so I chose finance, like stumbling into finance. And uh, and uh, then I got this opportunity because that school, that university in particular, had a program, joint program with the, the French consulate. Uh, so and the French consulate was sending teachers for free, so we like... 10, 11 kids uh, that go after secondary studies just with our spare time, like 20 hours a, a week, just to study, you know, for no specific purpose. But then uh, at the tail end, after four years, people said, why don't you try an exam to go to the, the French master program? I was like, no way, I couldn't afford this, but uh, thank you very much. <laughs> but um, they insisted, the teachers insisted. So I, I, it was extraordinary. I got a full scholarship. Uh, the first time I ever took a plane was to go to France with one backpack, one suitcase. <laughs> then it all started from there. And then, of course, once you have, I, I really think education matters. Uh, I, it, at least it matters from my personal experience. It mattered to me a lot. So one thing led to the other. The, the school sent me to another school, and the business school to finish up my study. Then got recruited by international firms, and then stayed, you know, multiple countries and and, and multiple roles. Uh, most of the vast majority of them in finance. Uh, just, uh, I guess, looking back, uh, I probably didn't plan all this, <laughs> but I'm very grateful. Uh, looking back, uh, I did travel. Many of the many of the countries that did meet many fantastic people. So I feel like, in a way, my childhood dream was fulfilled. <laughs> I was going to say, in some ways, as a leader, you are a, a tour guide of sorts, <laughs> uh, and you've gotten to travel a lot, which I which I do want to get into. But in terms of your leadership style, how would you describe the way that you mentor? Do you have, do you feel like you have a particular kind of style? Does it change depending on who you're talking with? What are your thoughts on that? 
Um, at the very beginning, when I, f I remember when I first became a people manager, uh, I was trying to let's just naturally mirror what I appreciate the most of people's leadership style. So I was like, leave them the space, give them the challenging tasks, be there for them whenever they need me. And I realized it didn't work. <laughs> like, very unfortunately, it didn't work because I have uh, team members at that time uh, in a very beginning entry level as a trainee, or I have other people who have been in a role for 20 years, uh, extremely autonomous and no, uh, and in many circumstances, no much deeper in the discipline of, of uh, what we need to uh, in their specific areas. So I, uh, through the, the hard lesson, I realized we really need to treat people individually. Not everything that I want for myself is what it's most meaningful for them as an individual. So really take the time to understand uh, what they need, what motivates them, and also in a way to genuine to offer a couple of help wherever they see the most value. So for certain people like the, the, the 20 year plus lady who worked for me, my help to her is really just to remove barriers and also communicate. So to help her connect the dots and get resources when she did struggle. But with the earlier career trainees and young professionals, the, my approach has started becoming more um, helping them to figure out what they like, what they dislike, uh, what the skill set they need to build, uh, what a career progression could look like and how we can Work together to make them, you know, get there um, sooner and and with the right uh, right um, you know uh, technical expertise and leadership expertise. So as um and I think a mentorship has a different swing to that. So first is a leadership is a genuine leadership and and the second I think mentorship has a different um, meaning for me because mentorship is much more personal. It's to tailor toward a person uh, and towards a person's long-term view. So, for example, I have a mentor, and he retired like five years ago, but I was still keeping touch. Whenever I have a critical career junction questions, I will go to him because I trust him fundamentally. He will offer me the unfiltered candid feedback. And so when I'm a, a mentor to other people, I do exactly the same thing. You know, put the, the company aside, put the, the, the rest of the... Um, the, 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 the context aside, it's just a specific to this person, just to help this person. I'd love to talk more about the power of travel. And I don't mean vacations when I say that. I mean, you know, living in another country, experiencing another culture. How has that changed you as a person? And, and I guess something for those who are watching and listening, what's what recommendations do you have as far as getting that opportunity to live in another place? Uh, has it always sort of fallen into your lap? Have you sought out those kinds of travel um, or living abroad opportunities? Uh, very good questions, Olivia. Thanks for asking those. Uh, first, how did the travel or living in other places help me uh, as a professional? Tremendously, uh, tremendously. I, I, I cite example when I first moved um, to the U.S. and um, you, you probably observe. I'm not trying to stereotype, but me as an Asian by origin, uh, respect hierarchy, keep the ideas and opinions to myself. Was something that I thought was something of value. But then one of the close uh, sponsor he called me out. He said, Yang, uh, 
we think you should have fair share of the contribution. We know you have ideas. We know you, you, you can have meaningful contribution, but don't hold up. And this is a culture that we would expect out of you. It didn't come intuitively, but I, I really appreciate that he told me. And um, thereafter, when I was mentoring and coaching uh, people of the similar you know, um, cultural context, I always say, if you have an opinion, if you don't have an opinion, it's okay, but at least express, do you agree, do you disagree? Otherwise, we'll keep wondering, are you engaged? Uh, if, if you, I mean, are you supportive or disappointed? And those are things that are important for us to know. If you contribute to a meeting, you need to be expressing those. So, like little things. But then uh, when I was doing a major acquisition integration back in Asia Pacific, the flip thing happened. Um, and I stumbled uh, in a more academic uh, study of explaining why that was. And there are countries that are high context countries and some countries are low context countries. And let me explain a little bit why. So low context countries, I tell you specific what I think. And it's very prominent in the Netherlands, uh, US, a big part of it. So. Um, I'm going to tell you what I do, what I think. I'm going to express my opinions, and this is good. Whereas into low, uh, high-context countries, you have to read between the lines. Uh, like China specific is one, and Japan is over the board, like uh, the high-context countries. Therefore, uh, even if we sometimes we hear yes, actually have to observe the body language, actually they're saying no. <laughs> So during this major uh, integration, of course, it's a cultural com combination of a, a local um, um, Asian country versus a U.S. MNC, and we have sent many experts to come to to understand and and to dialogue and integrate. And you can see a lot of those cultural cues are often missed by uh, by people, and then. Um, haven't been there, understood both cultures, uh, helped me being a better person so I can communicate, I can really uh, to, to, to make the bridge. <laughs> and, and in Italy, for example, I live in Italy and uh, most of the information happens around a coffee machine. <laughs> Less so in a in a meeting, but anecdote. But uh, your your second question was about um, how do we uh, if we have the aspiration to become uh, uh, to to have international uh, assignment? How do I make it happen? Um, there are little practical things, and I think there's a bigger things. And practical things, uh, some some of us being the bigger company and HR will once in a while come to say, well, please fill in a talent profile. And in talent profile, many companies will have, are you mobile or not? Or they can have a conversation and record, are you mobile or not? And for me, uh, genuinely, I, I don't... I don't mind where I will be, but I, I can fully understand, relate to people that a certain, like my kids will be much older in the high school, probably I would say no, in the near term I will not be mobile. But the fact that it was mobile, like I, I clearly expressed that I was mobile, uh, I think it, uh, it makes uh, the opportunities more uh, than the people either remain silent or unfortunately they cannot move, right? So the, the, the choice is more clear. Uh, so this is more tactical, practical things. Uh, the second thing is, 
I don't know. I'm just very curious about everything. So when I was working the, in in Europe, for example, I had already through my work contact, I already have a, a tons of relationship built. You know, even virtually, just on the phone or through instant messages, with people um, that are working in the headquarters in the U.S. And sometimes, you know, when I sometimes I will ask them how it is like in the U.S. or or et cetera, et cetera, or um, or when they think about, or oh, you happen to have an opening that potentially fit this person, your name will be more likely to be brought up just because they know you, they know your capabilities, they know your intellectual cures, and uh, you're much more open just to opportunities. And sometimes they ask you, are you mobile? Are you willing to come? And if you say yes, I think you have more chances than not to, to be a, a contender. That's great advice. You mentioned your curiosity. And when you and I uh, last spoke, we did talk a lot about kind of how that has impacted your career and your choices. And I'd love for you to share your opinion, uh, because I think this is related, your opinion on being a generalist in the finance function versus a specialist and maybe how that how you tie that to your sense of curiosity. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. In fact, yes. Many, many of the um, younger professionals, when they have a dialogue with me, it's oftentimes it's, uh, I want to become a future CFO, let's say. Uh, so then I say, if this is aspiration, then you probably need to take a longer term and learn about everything because CFO by definition is more a, uh, it's a, a special function, but it's a generalist job. <laughs> Whereas when people look at me and they say, well, how come that you are global treasurer or head of M&A where you have done like many finance roles? Uh, so I have to confess at the very beginning uh, of my career, I, I just did, I couldn't figure out what I like the most. Uh, so at times I was very tempted, you know, uh, there's, uh, let's say I was in treasury uh, and many people consider that highly technical uh, if you, you Probably many people more self-identify as a professional, like like tax, right? It's your you are tax doer, you are tax. <laughs> and so uh, I was when I when I get into a specialized function, my desire is to learn about what this specialized function was special about. Like what exactly do they do, and how can I do as well as they do? Like I change the foreign exchange hedging. Uh, it's kind of cool for me. Like wow, when you quote the different currencies in a in a cool, nice way, that's something I want to learn. So I learned. Um, but at the very beginning, my interest until today, I have to confess, my interest is very broad. Um, I was why I was jealous of people who move up. Uh, above the ranking very rapidly uh, if they stay with one specialized function. I figured it's probably not me. And and at the times I remember I had this conversation with one mentor. I said, you know, my peers are moving up, you know, as a director, I was still stuck here as a, as a senior manager or manager. But this mentor told me something. I wrote down my book. Um, I have a notebook. I keep track of all these feedbacks. Um, he says, Enlarge your horizon. Think about 20 years down the road, what do you exactly want to do? If 20 years down the road, or 10, no matter what the, the time horizon is, if you want to become a global treasurer, uh, go after the specialist. And if you want to go to the, the journals, if you want to go, want to become a CFO, or even become a business um, a general manager, and you can, it's pro more 
probably more suitable for you to do a journalist role. But I still couldn't figure out, you know, I was like, wow, that's so good. So what I did is I kicked myself out of a specialized function. Uh, I diligently rotate into, wow, gosh, more than a dozen <laughs> up to now of different functions, you name it, FBNA, MNA, you know, all kinds of business unit finance. And because for me, it's interesting to interact with people, either in sales, or in marketing, product development, engineering, plants. For me, it's fascinating. And I realized that's how it defines me. Maybe the success isn't about the rank of the success, it's about the pursuit. You know, it's about what I get the most joy and fulfillment in in, in this process. And I concluded the learning and and understanding the holistic picture is something that excites me. And I think people define that very personally, very differently, and just, just what happens to what suits me. But again, it's, it's super hard to, to define a path and stick to a path. So I, I wouldn't pretend that I know the perfect answer. I think it's a self-discovery rather than, you know, <laughs> it's a determined uh, path for us to pursue. <laughs> During your icons session, you were a speaker for our icons um, event and you talked about appreciation. So <clears throat> you had a, a wonderful uh, quote. Uh, well, for me, it's a quote uh, that I've repeated about appreciation. Would you share with the listeners what what that is? And, and it's, tell me a little bit about what appreciation means to you. Yeah, so I learned from um, a, a professor, and he's in, it's just in general, like uh, what happiness was, was, it was, a, was a, an interesting topic, I thought. It was an interesting topic taught in B school. I was like, well, uh, <laughs> if you're successful, you're happy. But uh, the case is not true. When you're successful, I de- define, first you define success. And, but once you have the conventional success, it doesn't mean that we're happy. I can have all the rank, I have all the power, I can have the money, but it doesn't mean that it's, uh, this is the happiness I define. But he taught me something that I, 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 I take to heart is um, appreciate is an interesting word. He says, if you appreciate something, the value of the thing appreciates. Um, so I was thinking about, and he was in the broader context of how to find your happiness in life. And uh, so I, 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 I come to realize I'm a generally a, a happy person. It's because I generally appreciate the good things in life. Like, I appreciate the good chat uh, with Olivia tonight. <laughs> I would appreciate, you know, interacting with my colleagues to solve a, a small, big issue. Uh, it just came out of a, a brainstorming. I find it very fulfilling. I appreciate I'm in different countries that can see, you know, even it's raining and cold in a summer day. But I still appreciate I can bike to the supermarket to buy, a, you know, little teeny things. I, I, I'm probably the person, like the, 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 the glass is half full type of person, but I do think if I find good things to appreciate in life, if I find good things to appreciate in other people, uh, of course I see the best in them. Of course I find there's a plenty of good things to enjoy in life. And I also think it helps me as a leader because I see people's strength and see their unique strengths rather than, because nobody's perfect, right? Myself and everyone around me, we're not perfect, but we are shining in our individual ways. So I appreciate them, so I see the best in them. So when I assemble a team, 
And oftentimes when I have a you know major decision, it's very rare I say this is my decision. I always say, what do you think? Because I think they always have something to offer from their unique angle because they shine. And together we can get so much better. So I believe that's why I think in general the appreciation covers around my general life philosophy and happiness and also covers how I interact with people and see their strength in life and, and helps me to become a better leader. Well, I appreciate this conversation with you as well. And I, I, as a fairly new mom, I I would be interested to know your advice for me and for anybody else uh, listening, how you instill that gratitude with your children, because I'm assuming that your children are growing up quite differently than you did. uh, And at least materialistically, right? So How are you kind of helping them to be grateful, to have a similar attitude that you have a glass half full type attitude? And and have you had success? (laughs) Very limited. (laughs) Uh, With kids, you know, it's a whole different ballgame. But um, no, it's true. Uh, I tried to you know, relate to say, well, mom was your age. I had this and that. We never had this and that. It didn't work. I'm like, mom, you're just old. <laughs> but um, it's a situation also whenever they have a situation, when they have a little uh, uh, disagreement with their friends, I always ask them, if, do they say that's intention or just because they're frustrated or angry, whatever. Just, I try to help them to dissect a behavior versus an intention. For me, intention is really important. And I believe, and I teach them to believe, most people have good intentions. Therefore, you have to first decide that they have a good intention, but they did something that surprises you. Let's try to find out why. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they want to stress. Maybe, you know, they just react to certain things that he misinterpreted what you meant. Let's talk. So... And oftentimes now when I see my, my, my kids talking and they take it very seriously, they say, oh, my sister told me I did this, but I didn't really do it on purpose. They say, well, explain to her. You didn't do it on purpose because your intention was not that. So I think, uh, I don't know, like somehow it's ingrained into them rather than, you know, they have a phone. I didn't have a phone until I was like 27. But <laughs> rather than, hey, let's understand, let's start with like people generally have good intention, but you need to put yourself in their shoes, understanding why, where they come from. Oh, I love that. When you and I spoke last, you told me that there was a time in your life when accomplishment really kind of defined you. And you had told me that you've now uncovered or, or defined, uh, a purpose that is to make a lasting impact. Is that, uh, the right way to say it? Would you say? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I shared that with you because, um, it has been a, a, a tough challenge and struggle for me in the past 10 years. And I think it just recently found that out. And, um, maybe give give our audience some context. So I mentioned when I was little, I was lonely, and, um, and uh, I had this sense of if I'm not successful, uh, 
or if I don't have the best score uh, uh, in school, then nobody will pay attention to me. My parents are too busy. The only thing that made them proud is, you know, I have a good daughter and she used to rank in number X, Y, Z in school and she get a, to a better university and whatnot. And for a long period of time, uh, that type of um, being very thirsty to get this external validation, like I need to, if, as a student, I need to do the best in, in class. As a worker, as a professional, I need to do the best work uh, uh, and, and I need to move rapidly. I need to move the next best thing. And in the, in the near term, yes, it's satisfying. You can see that the ranking keeps growing. You can see that you make more money. You can see that um, I made many people proud, my team, my, my family, my mentors, and whatnot. But then there's always this question, like, oh, why not? Next, you know, I'm still not good enough. I'm still not good enough. And I think many of us probably are still wondering the same thing. Um, and so every time when you reach the next goal, then you're initially flipping to, I need to go to the next, I need to check another box, otherwise the, the satisfaction, the validation point is no more there. But I was extremely fortunate, that's why I'm also grateful. I was extremely fortunate to the ones that have a very difficult uh, work situation with a tough people manager, and I learned a lot from that manager. But um, my company sent me a coach, and he helped me to realize there's certain things about us, inner us. <laughs> it's tough to describe. It's your sense of validation and assurance. The most stable should come from within, not from external. Otherwise, if I have a tough manager, if she said or he said, I'm not good enough, immediately I put on my hat and I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. So, uh, so it's a it's a it's a long period of the time for us to discover ourselves. But during this 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 whole discovery phase, then I was asking, okay, Yang, you are a certain career stage. You are financially is never anything that motivates you. Then then what? And I start noting, and he, my coach, wasn't telling me like, here's you, here's not you. He's just just saying. Whenever something excites you or something that really frustrates you, just pause and think why. And over time, I realized it really is not about the title. It really is not about money. It's about whenever I have a say and contribute to a thing that makes the work better, the people better, my ideas come to action, that's what excites me the most. And... And over a period of time, I started noticing the trend of that's what I want to do. That's what defines me. That's what I would like to do the most. And then once I know what that thing is, like a compass, once I know, everything else becomes noise. So if someone says, I give you more money, would you like to come to work in this role? But in this role, you have less authority. You know, you have to work, you know, just to execute. I would say no, because I know now I have inner clarity. My thing is to make a positive impact for the work, for the people, for the community around me. And once I'm clear with this, everything else becomes noise. I can have higher title, lower, more money, less money. That doesn't take away my inner clarity. But I think inner clarity 
it's something that really start guiding me. But again, it took me a solid 10 years to, to really to start seeing the trend and have this clarity. And I hope that many people are still pursuing this to pause and reflect. <laughs> I think that's great advice. And I know that you mentioned earlier, uh, the writing and, and you, uh, you keep a journal. How has that helped you to reach that inner clarity? And what are some of the other things that you've implemented over that span of, you said, 10 years? At the very beginning, the, the it's not a, a like a, a personal journal, but it's like it's now I'm into the third binders. Binders where I collect like my 360 feedback, uh, my um, personality test, uh, uh, a cup of word of wisdom that I heard people, you know, great leaders were saying, and I know them down. Just to thinking that you know one day I'll be as wise as they are. Um, but I think it's. First, it's this, this uh, curiosity about myself, like, how can I be better? I still want to improve myself. So at the very beginning, uh, when I read back, it's very tactical. Uh, so whenever I have a role, I'll say, here's what I did, uh, what I'm proud of I accomplished. Here's just a couple of things I didn't know I learned. And the, here's the thing I really sucked. I didn't do well. If I were to do that one more time, I would do it differently. And I collect all the feedback of people on me, solicited or non-solicited, and I put there to say, ah, this thing I really need to work on, that thing I shouldn't. Like everyone, you know, curious about the self-development, you would do that. Over time, I feel like I have less words, but more reflected words. So I would say I recently took on this role, and this role, what are the capabilities enable me to exercise my influence, really make an impact? And it happened to me. A couple of rows, even if like people say, wow, that's a great thing. But when I reflect back, my ability to make an impact is there, but it's smaller. And then I would say in this Prefined, you know, defined parameters. What are the things I can control to make maximize my 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 sphere of influence to make the impact? And if unconstrained, if I have an extra row, this row should look like this and should have a bigger parameter. And those are the things I can make a real impact based on all the things I've learned and based on what a person I am. And I also have a more um, balanced assessment of myself like sometimes we see you know a certain leader is so influential so inspirational we wish we are done and i come to the conclusion i may never be that person i aspire to and oftentimes it's because precise because i will never be therefore i find them really attractive i want to follow their footsteps but having a more realistic understanding of what my style is and how as a individual, a person, I can add differentiated value. Therefore, this value set can help me to make a bigger impact in a specific certain type of company culture, in a specific certain type of roles. And those combinations of company culture, role, myself, because who I am, the three triangle, I, the last page, I visually have three circles. <laughs> and say so if we, if all the three circles combine together, this is my dream set. I'm still not yet there. I will. <laughs> Hopefully, I will. Uh, but um, it's, it's those kind of things. It's become less wordy, less concrete, 
but um, more profound to guide me in the long run. A question from the audience. Have you ever suffered from imposter syndrome? How did you deal with it and get over it? So I feel that you've sort of touched on this in some ways. Um, and I imagine that you're not suffering from imposter syndrome now, but have there been times in your career where you have felt like, gosh, do I belong here? Uh, do I deserve to be here? Um, have you had those self doubts and how have you faced them? Yes. And I, I, to be honest, I still do once in a while, less frequent, massively frequent. That's why the external validation was really important because little negative feedback I got was discredit everything good thing I did. That was when I was younger. And now once in a while to come back to hunting, just to be honest. So I never fully outgrown and, and, uh, mature from that really helps me is that I call it a personal balance sheet <laughs> or finance personal balance sheet um, whenever I'm done I will look at the things I say here's with total clarity I know I'm good at I know through my career I have two decades of career experience I know my people love to work for me because I'm a good leader I, I, I'm devoting time with them I know I have, I have more bigger picture and also at the same time there's a couple of things I know I'm not good so the more balanced is sometimes when I'm done, when I'm really like, I suck, I screw this thing up, I don't deserve to be here. They will, they completely got it wrong. I, I was just a total imposter. But then I put this piece of, you know, personal balance sheet to say, remind myself one more time. No, through a 20 year career, through all those people that you interacted with, you've got a couple of things right. So don't discredit because, I mean, there's a, plenty of things I still suck, I aspire to, to do matter. But there's this, this several things that defines me that no matter what, and I need to just really have an assessment no matter what I'm doing it, I'm still good at it. So this is to help me pump up a little bit of the self-confidence. Yes, it's still down. So in a scale of 100 to zero, I probably still to 50 at those particular times, but at least I know now I'm not zero to 10. That helps a lot. I think handling feedback, uh, negative feedback, is such a, an important skill to develop. It's something that I'm still working on um, myself. But <clears throat> it sounds like you have gotten yourself to a place where you can take in feedback and it's not, uh, it's not all taken to heart as the truth. You're able to take it sort of with a grain of salt and understand, okay, is this, is this true for me? what I know about myself. And I think that's a challenge that I have. And I, I would think some others have it too. When someone says something negative about us or is critical of us, uh, it's, we tend to think, okay, so that is true. And it's, uh, it takes a lot of self-confidence, self, I think, reflection, self-knowledge, to be able to distinguish between what things are true and what things you can really have more to do with the person who's saying them to us than they do with us. Right. And I think if we react to uh, negative feedback, which 
in reality is a good sign. If we didn't care, we wouldn't take it in. To be to be honest, just first off, I tend to distinguish where this feedback comes from, like a person to start with, because I mentioned that early on. I mentioned like knowing the intention is really important for me. If I trust this person. I know this person's intention to give me the feedback is good. I'm much more receptive to this to this feedback. I know because this person cared. Otherwise, you know, sometimes we get sugar-coated feedback where nothing at all. Oh, good job! Like I didn't do anything. <laughs> um, but so I, I I distinguish. I try to filter out this is a good intention. And sometimes there it happens. You know, people throw something to you. Not because what you did or didn't do is because they're trying to be self-protective, and it happens. In essence, and I tend to be, you know, dismiss. Ah, this is his problem or her problem. She's gonna deal with it herself. That's fine. It's not my problem. But when it comes from a genuine intention to help me, then I will say, doesn't matter. I do. I want to change. And I say this. It doesn't matter. Like for example, I know there's certain things just around me. I'm a, I don't like boredom. If you someone to say, well, you need to do this thing from A to Z like 300 times to make sure you're proficient. I say thank you for the feedback. I know it's my blind spot. But however, you know, that's probably gonna define me. Then I probably acknowledge. First of all, I know I need to know it, and second, acknowledge and make a conscious choice. Do I bend myself towards that, or do I just move over that to leverage my strength? And that's a choice. I, I typically is more like I understand that's not me, and that's not my strength. I can improve upon so that it does not become a derailer. But I will be much more focused on my strength. And the second is uh, sometimes people get it wrong. Like for example, people will say, "Well, you don't have this and that," and. Sometimes the inner competitiveness of us also jumps in to say, "Well, I prove you that's not me," and and we owe it to ourselves and to those people to have a holistic assessment of ourselves. So, for example, if you say something that is, you wonder like, "Where does this come from?" But you think this person come with good intention. You either say, "Do I act upon it and prove if it's right?" Well, I don't act upon, but I know that's a short uh, shortcoming of mine. But he's coming from a good good intention, or he's come from still good intention, but he just didn't get the whole picture. And therefore, we owe it to this person with good intention. We owe it to ourselves to demonstrate that actually I've got this. I just did. I just didn't show to you, and probably I should have. It's on me. I love what you said. When I start my notebook, that um, similar to to what you do, I'm going to write it down: a holistic assessment of ourselves, and I'll attribute it to you.、Um, you mentioned blind spots, so if you don't mind, I'd like to know some of the things that you struggle with, and what are some of the things that you aspire to do better as a leader. Um, my blind spot, yes, there's a plenty. But let me just give you one, a couple of example. Like, I aspire to be this person, you know, pound the table, the alpha male type of person. And for a long time, I was like, this. How can I become this person? This is so good. Like, I'm almost a fearful of the leader, but he's so effective. Then over the years, I like probably never get there. <laughs> just not me. Uh, but the situation might at times still require that, so it's still my blind spot. I I wish I could be much more assertive, much more 
um, this alpha male or female figure that one situation uh, would request. And I will push myself to do that. I feel deeply uncomfortable when it comes to this. But I understand it's what it takes. And therefore, I will act upon it. I will, I will do it. I will kick myself and do it. And I will deep breathe. Uh, if I have to say something that is really, I say, guys, I don't agree with this. This is, you know, this is not on the right path. We have to do this all over again. And then I was still complete with a couple of sentences like, but we can do this together. Let me help you. Like, <laughs> but this is me, right? This is one of the blind spots. Uh, and I think, yes, I, I come to realize as I grow older, I come to realize with more clarity of myself who's, who I am, who I am not. I realize it's not naturally me, but I also understand this may be required of me. It depends on the situation, and therefore it cannot become a derailer. Therefore, I'm going to work on it, although, you know, 98% I still don't need it. But for the 2% of the situation that does require it, I will have to do it. I will really push myself to do it. But this is one, one like how I, 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 I view blind spot. The, the number two is then I could have better team composition who can complement my spine spot. Like, for example, in my team, I have people who have 20 plus years in one discipline. They are really technical experts. Then I consciously will complement the team with people who are high potential. They will take in, they learn a couple of things, they go out to do better things and bigger things. And I think because of this, we can complement each other's blind spot. So the high potential will drive this team to aspire to do more with better, you know, drive and, and ambition and connect the dots a little bit better. But with the technical expert, they are there to have the, you know, institutional knowledge and the fundamental cornerstone of, uh, of a, a technical uh, discipline, which I think is... It's in a way, that's what teams are for. We are there just to complement each other for the blind spot. <laughs> Yang, I want to just shift gears a little bit. I know you recently joined the board of directors at GameStop. So I'd love for you to first share why it was important to you to join a board. And then if you would just walk us through the process of, of deciding and and uh, just the whole process of joining. Yes, so at a certain stage, um, we start interacting with the board members, like from the company perspective, once you have a certain role that you have just to have to update the board. I find myself, you know, always curious. I find myself will always wonder, like, why would board care about this? Why certain other things that there are they? It's not on the agenda. What are the key things you keep asking? And and um, what are the things we can use the board as a really like a board, a something <laughs> and uh, to to guide us with bigger pictures? So I find myself often wondering. And before I have a board presentation, I will check. What are the top topics that board member, you know, recent trend? I would check what is this board members, they happen to serve in other boards, other companies' boards. What are the recent key things that the other companies does that they may draw the parallel analogies towards us? So I just to get curious of what exactly it's, uh, it's, it's a board level agenda. Um, and then, of course, over time, I become 
more interested or aspire to be able to sit um, to sit on the other side of the table, just me being also participating in board. Then I was like, oh, probably I'm still, you know, young, probably I'm not qualified, probably just not the time. Maybe, you know, one day if I become this and that, then I'll be qualified. Maybe if I have more gray hair, I'll become qualified. And then I realized it's not necessarily true. <laughs> um, some wise people, instead of talking about this specific assignment, but some wise people, so I, I, I then I, I just joined some passionate, you know, woman in policy type of forum. This just curious about how people do that. I was like, well, I mean, need to plan this for 10, five, 10 years down the road. And people told me, actually, um, you needed to have your personal branding is not the right thing, but what makes you a valuable board member? So first, do you have the breath and the horizon to see very big pictures of really strategic things? And what are your anchors to make you to become a board member? Now, for us in the finance industry, I think the good news is every company has an audit committee. So we need finance professionals to be able to uh, perform that role, at least for the chair of the seat. So finance naturally define we have a competency. But beyond finance, so many people are really good in finance, and so why me, right? So as I thought about my skill set and knowledge I could bring to the table, besides just, you know, as a management team, I interact with my board. Besides that, there's a couple of things that define me slightly different from other people. And I'm sure for other people who join other boards, they have other great things that define them. But for me, um, is you know, this international background, I happen to have the, 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 the horizon of the strategic horizon. Uh, and the second, I, I really know the capital market really well. So being the treasurer and I interact with uh, investors and, and the capital market, I just happen to know it very well. And, um, and the third one, I just, uh, I'm not shy to admit, there's an aspect of a diversity. So once you're on the equal ground with everyone else, and I think people will also look to see, do we have a diversified board representation, right? So I think a couple of things really define me as a person who has a certain core competency can bring to a certain company. And it's just and then it's a process of this company the right fit. Do they need a you know? Do they need people with those competencies? It's like a job interview, the same thing. Right? Do they happen to need people with those competencies? And will my competencies just happen to match with the company? And my experiences, right, is going through transformation, the big changes, uh, you know, the, the company, you know, financial up and downs. I've, I've learned a couple of things and been fortunate and grateful enough to have experienced many of the similarity of the things in my prior companies, and that helps. So I think for us, who for, for people who aspire down the road to sit on the, the other side of the table, just to be clear of what we bring to the table. And then, like everything, if you like this company, like its culture, and the company happen to appreciate your competencies, that would be a more natural fit. I, I'm curious to know, because I'm pretty unfamiliar with the process, but do you rely on somebody, a mentor, or maybe there's a more formal uh, type role that someone that helps you decide if it is the right fit? How do you make that decision? 
So there are oftentimes what I heard, oftentimes for the for the first board seat assignment, more likely than not is people you know of, less less often than going through a recruiting process. The recruiting process, I think only like 20 to 25% of boards that get recruited is oftentimes who you know, who have a genuine appreciation of you and who happen to know that you have a name on certain specific area that they need. Um, so yeah, so there are specialized firms, recruiting firms that go through, you know, screening, candidacy, reaching out, but uh, oftentimes it's rely upon um, who you have been, you know, as a business partner. And that's why I find for myself, at least it's important to always, with people that I interact with throughout my career, you know, professional interactions. Um, I don't take all, all interactions as, as, as an interview, but I always take any professional interactions to carry my personal standard with, for example, with respect, do my rigor. I could talk to, I don't know, a, a third party consultant to do a job for us, for my company and whatnot, but I still treat them with tremendous respect. I seek out the best insights and do the best I know how to add to the table. So oftentimes it will be surprising that the goodwill has a ripple effect because so-and-so always knows so-and-so. And when they come, when someone will say, hey, I need someone, I'm thinking about, I need someone, happen to have those kind of competencies, happen to be like more or less in the parameters of what they're looking for. And, and the great network will also say, oh, I happen to know a person. I didn't work with her extensively, but I happen to know a person that I, I really had appreciation and worked with her briefly, but she made me made, fit. Made so go to have a, have a chat. And I think those are the goodwills that before I know it, before you would know it, it really carries a long way. So I really think that was important for me. Mm-hmm. A great question from the uh, audience and it probably the last question we have time for, how do you assess if you are making the right decision in your career? For example, moving to a different country and having a new role before even deciding to take it. What advice do you have for this person? I don't look back. I agonize a lot between good choices. And the reason that you agonize is because they're all good choices in the ballpark. So there's no perfect choice. And once you make the move, make the move, make the best out of it. If you look back and say, oh gosh, I wish. And, uh, it's really a lemon because if it's a lemon that you wouldn't know it and you wouldn't choose it to start with. So there's certain things that appeals to you. But even if it's a lemon, <laughs> we can make a lemonade out of it. And at worst, like what could be the worst? And the worst is it's a paid training. We still get paid by the company. They still train us to discover ourselves, to learn a couple of things here and there. You cannot go wrong. <laughs> I love that. That's such great advice. I totally agree. Well, uh, Yang, thank you so much for joining us uh, for this this really enlightening Q&A. Uh, I've, I've taken notes throughout for my own personal notebook. And I just want to thank you for sharing your story with us and for answering our questions so thoroughly. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Olivia and FEI for providing those great platforms. As I mentioned, I was a nerd. I, I would, uh, when I was 
in, um, in my early career and still do so is I will listen to the words of, of, of people and that I, I respect and, and, and the, the steal their word of wisdom. And sometimes one or two things that made an impact on me that's made me who I am today. And sometimes you and I, Olivia, we talk about this. If our today's conversation could make one or two things, little things, in the person's career or life, and that will be a time that is tremendously worth the spend. And I really appreciate this opportunity. I couldn't agree more. And that's the lasting impact that we've been talking about that we're really hopeful for. So thank you so much. Excellent. Well, all the best to everyone who listened in. And thank you, Olivia, again. Thank you, Yang. 